Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, when you know when we talk about ways to go to college on the cheap, we place less emphasis on where and more emphasis on cost. But in the realm of performing arts, we are often talking about where where students go because many of these colleges are what we can call what we call specialty colleges. The truth is that most of those specialty colleges are very expensive, over a quarter of a million dollars for a degree, and are very competitive, less than 10% get in. So what I'd like you to talk about today is how someone who has a goal to work in music can do this without going into crippling debt, and how they can actually work in music if they didn't go to Juilliard. Uh, Jennifer, is that, is that even possible? Yeah, you know, Shelly and I, we know a lot about college, but the only thing that we know about performing arts degrees are that number one they're very hard to get into uh, number two they're very expensive once you're there and so when we talk about performing arts degrees we're talking about dance and drama and music i mean these are special fields these are not our area of expertise of course so we needed an expert we needed someone who could help us talk to you guys about this industry and all of the costs all of the training and also maybe just a little bit of the hype that kind of gets rolled into that process. So I am very excited. We have a super special guest with us today. We are going to try and figure out if we can crack down some of these costs. So with me today is Richard Fink IV. Now he's the founder and the owner of The Vocal Gym by Throga. So just a couple highlights about Richard. He was called the world's leading online vocal coach by the Wall Street Journal. That's very impressive, right? He is a songwriter. He's a vocal producer. He's worked with Josh Groban and Michael Jackson. He works with young people as a coach. He also uh, did that through Universal Studios Talent Camp. Now, he's a three-time Guinness Book World Record holder, which I'm going to have to ask him about and find out what that is all about. But that is just a very small fraction of his impressive resume. And so we're going to ask him lots and lots of good questions today. Richard, thank you so much for agreeing to help us and be here with us. Of course. I'm happy to be here. So can we start just right off the top with the elephant in the room? Okay, so this is the big question around this. I mean, do we... Does someone in this field even need a degree? Do you need a degree to work in music and performing arts? So the short answer is no, but of course there's pros and cons to everything, right? There's a ton of jobs in the music and performing arts field that don't require a degree. Um, so taking the time to really research the options based on your skill sets and your goals are important, just like anything else. And by the way, this is usually a huge concern for parents because when their child goes to them and says, mommy, daddy, I want to grow up and be a musician, panic sets in, <laughs> generally speaking. Um, so what I did was I came up with a list, knowing a, a question like this would come up, I came up with a list of potential careers that someone can have in the performing arts. It, because it doesn't mean someone has to win a Grammy or become famous in order to be a dancer or a singer or a songwriter. There's incredible opportunities and lifelong careers someone can have 
to support themselves and their own family down the road. And that's um, important what you said, support themselves, right? Yes, because, I mean, yes. That's, that's what someone wants from their career. They, they want to be able to earn a living. So when we're talking about things for today, we're talking about careers, not just hobbies, although that's important too, right? But we're talking mm -hmm. about real legitimate ways for people to support themselves. Yeah, so I'm going to rattle off. Now, a lot of these can be hobbies, too. If it's something that I, anybody can have multiple loves, right? You can have a hobby and a passion for songwriting or playing guitar or something like that that you can do on the side or just at home to introduce music to your family and things like that and still have a full-time job somewhere else. But all of these can also be a full-time gig, so to speak. So I'm, I broke this down into three sections. We have things you can do as a performer, things you can do as a creator, and also on the business side in terms of the performing arts. So I'm just going to rattle these off. If you have a question about what something is, let me know. But my point is I, I want to kind of reduce some of that panic that a parent might feel like, oh, but is this sustainable? Is this something you can turn into something? So I just want to give you a scope that there are a ton of things. So to start with, of course, you can be a musician. This can be in a band or um, be on a cruise ships or local theater companies, things like that. Same goes for being a singer, a dancer, there's actor. You can be a full-time backup vocalist, choreographer, a dance company member, a lighting designer, stage manager, costume designer, set designer, makeup artist, prop master, voice actor, audiobook narrators, podcast hosts just such as yourself, um, master of ceremonies um, at large corporations. You can be stand-up comedian, street performer, busker, musical theater actor, physical theater or circus performer. You can be a stunt actor. You can be a magician. You can be a puppeteer. That's just on the performance side. Wow. And then you also have being a creator. There's composers and songwriters, music producers, audio engineers, uh, music arrangers, playwrights, uh, music video directors, jingle writers, lyricists, video game composers, arrangers for film and TV, photographers, social media content creators. And on the business side, list isn't done yet, you can be a music supervisor, a score reader and editor, musical director, a folly editor, music teacher, vocal coach, talent agent, publicist, music journalist, music critic, entertainment marketer, event planner, tour manager, merchandise seller, artist manager, music producer, tour promoter, concert venue manager, musical festival coordinator, brand sponsorship manager, and social media marketing. Wow. So I had no there idea. There are so many things. And the reason I, I purposely made that list long is because I want to break that the idea that there's only a single path and you must become famous in order to have a career because of course those odds are against you right that's a lot of work there's there's a, not just a lot of work but there's a lot of um just opportunity on unpredictable scenarios i mean anybody can fail at any job no matter how much they love it based on a multitude of things but it's important to understand that behind every one successful singer or one successful uh, theater production company, there's a ton of full-time careers that make those successes possible. Yeah, I so think it's that's, behind that's the curtain. So good. Oh. That's, that's so helpful because you might have in your mind, especially if you're a young person, that I want to be X, right? Like I want to be this certain thing. And if I don't make it as X, then I have no chance. I have no career. I might as well go do something else. So I like this idea that there's so many different ways to pivot 
Because the other part to that is as you get more experience, as you get training, as you meet people, as you have work experience and all of this time on the planet, right? Like you may encounter other opportunities that take you in an entirely different direction than what you initially planned. So it sounds like flexibility and creativity are probably good character traits to have. Absolutely. And and I would say there's three really hyper-focused things related to success without having that degree. And I'm going to use myself as an example. I actually don't have a college degree, but I have a ton of hands-on real-world experience. I've been in the studio a thousand times. I've been on stage a thousand times. I've worked with a lot of noted other successful uh, musicians and artists and businessmen in their own field and network with them. Um, I also did a lot of independent study. I read a lot of books and worked with a lot of teachers you know, with private lessons and eventually cultivated my, my own style. And most importantly is personal drive. Because one of the things that college and school does offer is accountability. And when you're at home and you've got to build a business or follow a career on your own, you really have to keep yourself aligned and goal orientated. Um, and so, so I think those three things are essential and not specific to music, not specific yeah. to, to performing arts, of course. I, I mean, I would agree. So the, the college degree represents um, an exercise in discipline, right? And an exercise in follow through as opposed to maybe that specific credential that you need to get the job or uh so when someone is going on an audition for instance i'm just gonna ask right like they're not being asked if they went to college or if they have a degree right generally no you would include it in a resume because it shows experience exposure there's there's obviously psychological and the very least advantages that you you put a lot of effort time and energy towards something but in the performing arts, skill or talent, if you will, reigns supreme. It doesn't matter if you have a degree from Juilliard, if you're right for the role, if you're a more, if you're a better performer, you can be outskilled in a performance by somebody that has been a busker. I've got one student, uh, he busks, uh, he's in Sydney, Australia, and he's on the street between four and eight hours a day, five to six days a week. And he supports a family on that. It, it's, he's doing something he loves and his skill sets are amazing because he's practicing eight hours a day in front of people. And that took him to the voice, he ended up being the runner up on The Voice Australia, all of that because his skills are so honed and he's so actively interacting with people and his fans. So there's, there's a lot of, we don't know what the future is gonna be so again, it comes back to doing the research and finding what resonates with you and your goals. And I like what you said earlier, being flexible in, in being able to pivot. When I started out, I wasn't planning to be a vocal coach. It's like, I'm, I'm going to be a famous rock star, right? That, that was kind of, that was my initial goal is to, you know, that, that youthful energy and invincibility cloak of I, I can do it and no one can stop me. Um, and over time, I just fell in love with the, with the understanding of the instrument and the people would ask me, oh, how did I do that with my voice? Because I didn't have that skill set two years ago and now I do. And so that led to being able to communicate that. So I pivoted my career towards my love of teaching, which was very unexpected. Um, but it was through 
a drive in a feeling of necessity to, or, or I should say, maybe not a feeling of necessity, a, a willingness to chase my passion that led to those pivotal moments. Um, and now I've got a book that's being taught in high school and in universities in the US and, and Australia without even having that college degree. So, but that's years of, of persistence for sure. Yeah. Richard, you're, you said that you don't need a degree for it. Would you say that a degree in performing arts does give people connections and makes things a little bit easier, or is that not an issue for prom so performance? That's, so that's one of the biggest things it offers is the networking, for sure. Um, so if I can back up a little bit, too, in terms of the, the, the umbrella of different careers, there's definitely careers that are more likely to be benefited by having a degree. So I've got, I've got a list of that too. One, of course, is being a music teacher. If you wanna teach music in a high school or university, having that master's degree is often necessary, at least in the United States. So there's certain steps you have to take if you want to be a classroom teacher as opposed to a private teacher, which is something I do. But having a degree for being orchestral musician being in music licensing specialist or a business consultant, being an entertainment lawyer, a record label executive, a casting director, a soundtrack and film score composer often has a background uh, with a degree, certainly with an opera singer, because that's such a specific technique. Um, sound effects designer, um, a lot of studio owners with a business background are very common, and being a fine arts director. So there are many careers that a degree will specifically aid them. But on a grander scheme, to answer your question, networking in, especially in those youthful years, right, that 17 to 22 age range, being around like-minded musicians and dancers and, and, and actors, uh, you cultivate long, lifelong relationships and the teachers have been there for years and they've had students go on to successes and things like that. There's all of this networking that takes place in a very concentrated place um, that can be super beneficial in terms of leading to a career. Um, if I can give another example, um, one of my friends that I work with, uh, Johnny Cummings, he's a songwriter. So he's a performer and a songwriter he has a degree in, he's a bachelor's in music from uh, Nazareth College, which is known for music and, and many other things. And he met his bandmates there 20 some years ago and they still play to this day. They do like 50 weddings a year and they make a killing at doing that. But he also is a songwriter. He has a, um, a number one rock hit right now with the band Daughtry because, and he, and he teaches songwriting online. So he's making $100 an hour helping other people learn how to write songs, doing something he loves. And that all came from the, 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 the other musicians he met at the time, the jazz classes he took at the time, learning different music theories and different styles in college that he probably wouldn't have had, at least not an immediate exposure to, had he not gone to college. And that led him to a very successful career in doing what he loves. And I have another friend, Sam Polizzi. Uh, they actually own a studio together. And he was at more of a conservatory style. He did the Full Sail University in Orlando. And he has a degree in audio engineering. 
And right now he is remixing Atmos mixes, which is a new, like latest, greatest version of audio mixing um, for Foreigner's entire back catalog. And he's done uh, demo mixes for Lady Gaga and Celine Dion and Snoop Dogg. So he's in the field that he's always wanted to do actively right now because he didn't just take a broad approach of college, but he knew what he wanted early on and specialized in that and led him to a career that way. I'm really impressed by all of the different, all of the different options. And, you know, so when I initially started doing research for this podcast, you know, of course, I'm looking at the big schools that everyone knows, you know, like I'm looking at the Juilliard, I'm looking at the Berkeley and NYU and all these schools that have price tags that are, you know, maybe $70,000, $80,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the schools that you mentioned, um, I'm assuming are are a little more reasonable in price, um, sure. but but certainly you know there there are ways to get some of that knowledge um, without spending that kind of money. Would would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. I and I think when we're in high school too, we don't obviously always know if college is going to be the right path. And I and you guys talk about this a lot too, is trying to discover is college even the right path at all? And if so, how do you, if you can find out sooner than later, that saves a whole lot of stress and money as well. So I think no matter what the school is, I think looking at college credit courses uh, with the dual enrollments and the AP courses and summer programs and the online courses that offer college credit are really good, not just because it saves money, because it also reinforces if, or we'll say challenges your child, if this is actually the path they wanna go in. Because if they take a music theory class or they take a theater production class online or do a summer program at like Berkeley, you know, they're gonna come back either totally stoked, like this is definitely what I always thought it was, or they're gonna be like, okay, we wasted 5,000, but I just saved 80 because I know that's (laughs) not where I wanna go. I call that proof of concept. And I promote that concept so frequently because I think when you have a hobby or an, a passion that you're very enthusiastic about, when you start studying it academically, or maybe in this particular context, you start performing in front of real people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as opposed to just in your room where you're thinking about it. Um, so, so when you're taking classes for college credit, where you're being evaluated on many skills, not, not just your passion for the subject, it kind of changes things. And someone yes. might have a a strong passion for something, but that doesn't mean that they are going to um, enjoy it when they study it academically, right? So studying uh, something like advanced placement music theory is not necessarily the same as having a love of singing. Absolutely. So what they may find in that process isn't, I mean, they're not going to be discouraged from wanting to be in music, but it can, the earlier you can help them set the path that's going to resonate for them, the better for sure. Um, And in that process too, it also gives them a little bit of insight into the specific culture of that school. So if they were trying a program at Berkeley or Juilliard or NYU or wherever, you get kind of a feel for, at least with that professor um, or some of the staff, what the culture is like there. They may find that, oh, I still really love music and I really want to do this, but their style, their communication, their culture isn't a good fit for me. So sometimes the dream or the idea of that big named college 
doesn't necessarily resonate towards what they're looking for, what's going to excite them to, to reach their goals. So then it really becomes just money not well spent, um, and often a lot more money, like you said, in, in some of those big names versus the others as well. And, and the other thing, too, with taking, um, I, I guess this wouldn't really apply to advanced placement, but certainly um, some of the, I guess, I guess maybe it would, certainly with the dual enrollment programs, the summer programs, you start to build early networking. You start to communicate with that teacher or, again, meet like-minded peers that nurture relationships that can carry you to who knows how far in your life. And I want to underscore that. that. I want to underscore that because parents who are listening may not know, but high school students in many states, um, 13 or 14 states, have access to taking college courses in high school for zero tuition. And many of the um, the states will completely fund that process. And so while your student is still in high school, please investigate and find out if they can participate in these dual enrollment programs. If it's a public or private school, you'll have to run that through your school so that they can get credit for high school um, but if you're a homeschooler or if you want to do something on top of what they're doing in high school, you can self-pay and you can pursue these college courses while they're in high school and do exactly what Richard's talking about. Because even in cases where you're self-pay, the tuition is usually much, much less when you're in high school, like fraction of the price, maybe um, 25% of what you might normally pay after high school. So these are opportunities to to get that exposure and start that network like he's talking about, but also, um, which is something that I'm a big fan of, which is accumulating credit prior to enrolling, because then you've got something to come in and you're helping bring that goalpost closer. And I would, and just to kind of tag on that as well, I would also encourage exploring different colleges. So even if, even if there's like a hyper and excitement towards one specific, you can do music appreciation at the University of Minnesota and then music history in University of North Dakota. And you can, you know, collect again, build the network. Are you, are you talking about doing that remotely or do you? Doing it remotely. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the online classes, sorry. Okay. So, so the, I mean, that's the nice thing is while you're in high school, you can do, try some of the larger colleges for the online courses if it's reasonable. Obviously in-state is beneficial. Always look at your community colleges. They may have something you can go to in person, which is even a deeper, you know, networking. There's nothing better than that handshake, you know, face-to-face -face kind of relationship. Um, but if 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 you have an eye on like, ooh, that I want to go to California to work with that college or university, there's an excitement there. Try a single reasonably priced course to see again if that's going to does that going to burn out or is that going to excite. The goal and then of course it still doesn't mean you have to go from high school right there you can um, look at community colleges and or in-state and build those first two years get the get the common or not common but the, the the core curriculums out of the way and still take online specific courses toward with other universities uh that may specialize in the field you're more interested in for those which i know I, yeah i know you you speak of a lot more and know that that path a lot more than I do, but well, well, for those students that are in high school, I mean, what what are some good tips that you have for for them as far as like what classes they might you know want to take? Not just not just for exposure, but also to help them with admissions if they are going to 
you know, aim for for a college degree in one of the performing arts. But then also, you know, we spoke about the college credit piece of it. But also, like, what are some of those special things that regular college students aren't doing? Like, I, I know that, especially in arts, they're, building a portfolio is important, right? Or having um, workshops and lessons and things in that uh, field outside of just the classroom are important too, right? Yeah, I again, it comes down to experience. So in the performing arts, as I mentioned earlier, your, your resume is going to highlight the experiences you've had often more than you're going to highlight what classes you've taken or even sometimes even where you took those classes. Because if they see, oh, you've been in 12 different musical theater productions and four of those are leading roles, that's going to jump out on the page because that shows discipline, memorization skills, um, and experience of working with others, all of those things. That's a much greater uh advantage than somebody who has oh look they have straight a's in math and science and you know and such and such although having said that if they anytime there is the and i think this would work with any sort of employment scenario if you have two candidates that you're considering you think are kind of like an equal footing that's where that piece of paper so to speak has its advantage like okay but this one also invested more time and money and energy on top of that we really like their singing voice or, or whatever. So th that can be a deciding factor. I don't wanna take away from that. But if someone has spent those four years with life experience and getting on stage and really applying themselves, they have the advantage over someone in the classroom. So someone could get those merit scholarships, you know, if they do have those straight A's in math. I mean, aiming for those merit scholarships is good, but I'm, I'm guessing there are also performing arts scholarships as yes. well. Yeah, there's scholarships for for acting and for music. Um, and of course, that there's there's also and, and again, both of you are more well versed in this as far as like federal funding opportunities and things like that. But in the performing arts, for acting, dance especially is a big one, and also as a musician or an orchestral musician, can very often uh, get some grants and scholarships to assist towards certain certain programs. And in doing that, also understanding which type of university you want to go through. There's more classically driven and there's more contemporary driven, and that's something parents should understand as well. So. Can For you instance, explain? Can you explain what that is? Because I don't know what the difference. Yeah. Is. So, uh, someone somewhere like Juilliard, um, Eastman School of Music, and uh, ones that have been established for decades um, and have been kind of handed down a style that is more traditional in music, more like literally operatic or classical style in performance, is going to have. A certain criteria it tends to be a little bit more rigid in terms of what the what what the performer is expected to do on stage and in class. So they're going to be very heavy in sight reading. They're going to be very heavy in performance and cultivating um, the singer's formal, which is more of a classical style of singing. And I, I'm, I'm speaking of singing as an example because that's what I know. But I, I also know there's traditional styles in dance or like ballet versus again more modern hip hop and more contemporary styles. And that's what I mean by contemporary. Contemporary is gonna be more schools like NYU and Berkeley is probably 
arguably the leading one in contemporary because they have classes on pop and rock and jazz and things outside of more traditional or classical genres of music. And they also specialize in music production class and audio engineering and business management. So they tend to concentrate more on the application of the what the musician can do with their life in the genre that they are most excited about. And I think that's huge because if I was a singer who loved, uh, or not if, I am a singer who loves musical theater, but I also like rock. So for me to go to Juilliard or Eastman as an example would not be a good fit because the expectation would be for me to cultivate, cultivate my voice to express it in a style that doesn't excite me. So although I may learn from it and it can have benefits, it can also kind of kind of diffuse or, or dilute my, my joy in why I'm there in the first place. And we really wanna make sure that our kids are not just entering college, but being seen all the way through it and then they can apply it past college. So finding the right place that resonates the genre and the style and objective of that current staff and that the, the culture that's been built up, um, the notoriety of that particular school is really important that, that you match that. There needs to be something in sync there that's gonna continue to excite them to, to develop their voice, their musicianship, their dancing skills beyond college. I think I think that is so important. And a lot of times a young person doesn't have a good concept of what the full college experience for them is going to be. And you know, we we try and sort out the differences between earning a credential and earning earning, you know, the experience of it. Shelly and mm -hmm. I talk a lot about that, right? Um, but I think in this particular instance, it's very interesting that you talk about the different styles because that's going to either advance their passion or it's going to take them in a whole different direction or it might just be a really bad fit. And the worst case scenario, of course, is that they hate it and they've now spent a year there studying and, and paying expensive tuition and then they come home and they want to do something different. Absolutely. So one of the things that um, when you uh, sent me some information I had not considered before, you had a lot of information in your notes to me on work-study programs for performing arts. And I'm a little bit familiar with work-study programs. Um, I did something like that when I was a student and uh, back in the 80s, and I worked in, a, in an office uh, on campus doing a little bit of secretarial type work. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that what you're talking about or is is work-study programs and performing arts a different animal? It, it's essentially the same thing, but the, the goal, of course, is to be able to, to get some, basically, a part-time job in the field you're actually interested in. So you're working in the studio or on stage as a light technician uh, and maybe working with the instruments, even if it's just cleaning and arranging and inventory and things like that. Uh, you can earn fifteen to twenty dollars an hour. You know, it's it's not a lot, but that that's usually about the 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 gamut that it's paid. Um, and you're you're talking anywhere from five to twenty hours a week of working on campus, so you're earning extra money. And I think again, going back to that networking is is the biggest advantage because now you're in interacting with the staff 
more often. You're meeting people outside of your immediate classes and things like that. So, and of course, there's also jobs that are just an assistant that may have nothing to do with music or anything whatsoever, and it's still a good way to earn money. Um, just using Berkeley as an advantage, because I've had several students uh, attend Berkeley, so I just, I'm a little more familiar with that. Um, I mean, they've got at least four, if not 5,000 employed students in work study actively working there. It's huge program. And I've had a few of them, you know, base, one of them was just a, on a basically cleanup crew for the theater department, but they were there at rehearsals and all the tech rehearsals, things like that. So they're meeting new people and, you know, all of that just nurtures their love of the craft or turns them away. Either way, find out sooner than later. Um, so it's a nice way to earn money. And there's a ton of different schools that, that do this. And we can, I can send you a, uh, in, in for our listeners, we can uh, provide them with like a list of different um, colleges that do this. So we have Berkeley, Juilliard does this, um, Manhattan School of Music, the Chicago uh, College of Performing Arts, just a ton of them. Um, and there's also conservatories like the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, Boston Conservatory, um, Eastman School of Music that I mentioned earlier. And conservatories are going to be more concentrated in the field of study uh, that they're interested in. So um, they're basically 24-7 dancing or singing or, or um, playing in music. So it's, it's much more concentrated in the field that they're interested in. Um, but same idea, they, they have work-study programs that will allow you to continue to network, get paid, and stay right on campus, which is great. Something that I'm thinking about as we're talking today that's different from back when I went to college um, is we have, you know, it, and you mentioned students taking remote online courses. So this is kind of new. If you think about the yeah. impact of online learning, if you think about social media, I mean, this has got to have changed the world, right? So do you mind if we pivot for just a second and talk about social media? I mean, should should any of these students who are are looking for this as a career, should they start a YouTube channel? Should they be singing every day? Should they be publishing what they're what they're singing online and on Instagram or on TikTok. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? So the answer is yes, because if they're looking for a career as a perform on the performing side, so if someone is more about the composing side or the business side, that may not be as relevant, right? Although having a presence online is still opportunity for networking. But if you're on the performing side of things, uh, as a dancer or a singer, even as a painter or an actor, having a presence is a big deal. Um, that also in today's market can make or break an opportunity. If someone is auditioning, uh, it, I, actually, I imagine this is in every field. If someone is applying for a job, one of the employer's first things they might do is probably Google that name and look for them on YouTube or social media. What is their persona? What do they look like? How do they interact with people? That's kind of like kind of part of this new global research platform that we have and who we choose to work with. So if if I have if I'm looking for a backup singer, for example, for uh, a studio, a studio album, 
and I see, okay, this person's got a great voice and I want to go check out YouTube. I want to see how consistent they are. I want to look for what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then I want to look at somebody else's. If I like both of them, one has 150 followers and one has 1.6 million followers, I'm intuitively going to want to say, I'm going to go with the one with more experience, more success, and could probably help me promote this project because they have a fan base as well. So it ends up being kind of a relationship benefit there. So building an early fan base is great. But more than that, um, I think any musician and performer should consider uh, building a Patreon or GoFundMe early on as well. And this can help uh, them with college expenses as well, if they're going in the college route. And, and if they're not, it still helps. Meaning you can ask, I have several students that do this. They have a Patreon or GoFundMe page that's a five, 10, or like $15 a month uh, membership. Are you familiar with these? Have, have you participated in things like this? So yes. what they do is every month they, they start with friends and family. They might have like, you know, 25, 30, immediate friends and family that are basically helping them pursue their career. So they go on, they do some exclusive songs that they're singing, or maybe an idea that they're songwriting or a project. They basically journal and story what they're doing and what they're working on artistically. And as a, depending on what tier member you are, how much you pay per month, you're going to get exclusive, you know, uh, uh, benefits or insight into what's going on with your life artistically and this is a really cool way to build money um, for if you have let's say a hundred patrons at between five and twenty dollars a month that's five hundred to two thousand dollars a month right there that you can do from your bedroom or from your dorm room on off hours doing something you love practicing your craft in interacting and building a fan base. I've got one client that has, she's been doing this for years. She has, I don't know, I can't remember how many patrons she has, but so she charges between 10 and 30 a month because she's been doing it longer. And she's pulling in six, $7,000 a month just sharing her music. And that doesn't include selling merchandise and going on tour and doing other things. It's just that interaction. So you can really build a career, the earlier you start, the better um, that way. But in the very least, it can help subsidize costs, living expenses, food, entertainment, whatever, during those college years. So I'm I would a, definitely I'm a big it. fan of, of that. I'm a big fan of moving at the speed of budget. And, you know, I think the internet has allowed us to be more resourceful with how we solve these kinds of problems. And I'm sure once upon a time, you did have to physically travel to a location in order to make it, you know, in certain, oh, yeah. but, but not anymore. Right. <laughs> I remember the days of, cause I couldn't find a local teacher that I connected with when I was struggling with my voice and I would save up. I was a dishwasher at a local bakery in my small town in Western New York. And I'd save up my money for the week and I would drive six and a half hours to New York city pay $120 for that one hour lesson, drive six and a half hours back. And that's what I would do. That that was my gig. That was my commitment to the craft to get better at what I had. Uh, YouTube did not exist. I'm, I'm not sure AOL was around, right, right around that, that era, <laughs> I think. Can you make some suggestions for that high school student 
as far as you know ways of keeping the cost down but still getting um you know some of those some what some of those tips right like besides spending 120 dollars on that ticket <laughs> you know what are some of the ways that you can get some of this training in high school or even in the beginning of college for low cost sure um well just independently as you already mentioned youtube there's a million and one different vocal techniques and guitar lessons and piano lessons and things out there. In the very least, there's free tips everywhere. But I implore you to never, excuse me, get stuck on any one individual or any one technique when you're starting out, because there's a lot of different ways to communicate the same thing. And finding the person that can communicate well to your language, so to speak, not just English, but just your your uh, style of humor and interest, things like that, um, will help cultivate you. So I think exploring that is a really big deal. And if you can't afford it, talk to mom or dad or whatever in terms of getting private lessons to if you after you find the right person. And that's the advantage, by the way, of all the social media now too, is you don't have to just, oh, I'm going to try this teacher, try this teacher and spend a bunch of money. You can spend quality time with them on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter to get to know them first and be like, okay, this is the person for me. Now I'm going to invest my money. So, so do that research and, and place your money well. There's also online courses. We, of course, have them at the vocal gym um, that, that dig a little bit deeper into the technique and the science behind singing and just learning the, the, the hows and the whys, which help build your voice. And they have online courses for acting and for dance and for anything and, and everything else. So those are those pre-recorded courses tend to be much more affordable in learning a lot quickly. In so fact, we're going to have a list. We'll have a list on, in the show notes that Perfect. gives our readers a lot of, I'm sorry, our listeners, a lot of opportunities to take not only low cost, but also free courses and some playlists and things that we've curated. And going back to what you said earlier, if you can get any AP and dual enrollment that is being covered by the school who usually funds it is that federal state is it like what, what tiers so for, for public school students they are going to have their funding derived from the state so public school students sometimes have the option of taking courses for college credit either through the dual enrollment provider that teaches in their high school or going to the community college or the local university to do that um, but anyone okay you don't have to just take advantage of those anyone can self-pay and take courses, mm -hmm. um, even if it's not something that's going to count for high school credit. You know, don't be afraid to take some of those general education courses. If your college degree that you're seeking is going to have a requirement of, of things like English and math, I mean, if it's not just a performance school, if you're going to have those general education courses, instead of paying that expensive performance school tuition, you can get those general education courses through the community college. And even if they don't end up transferring, what you're getting is you're getting that skill set. Um, and you may end up being able to use those courses in kind of an adjacent degree. Like you talked a lot about business, right? So perhaps a student who is very passionate about performance, maybe they are also getting a degree in business or a degree in education. And I will just add, my brother is a music teacher and he was very interested in performance and very passionate about about it. He's a percussionist. Um, but instead of, 
majoring in performance. He took the more, uh, you know, utilitarian approach and he majored in education. And so he was able to be a music teacher and have his career in that. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can do besides just one path. I think that's probably the key takeaway today, right? Is that there's yeah. and, so many And I ways. want to add too, there's a lot of preparation you can do in high school towards your goals. So it's, it, it, that doesn't cost anything. So that includes seeking performance opportunities, community theaters, and um, talent contests, things like that, to just get stage experience and exposure and things like that, because that pushes you forward. But also internships. There's local recording studios. There's local dance studios that need assistance. And again, it, you're not getting paid, but you're getting, you're building relationships. Maybe getting future recommendations that can get you an opportunity. Um, you're getting hands-on experience in the field that you love. Get to know different programs that are being used to edit and um, create music content. If you're into film, then you know get those film programs and just play, experience, explore. So when it comes time to going to college or application to uh, a project that you might have been hired on, you're already familiar with these programs early on. So the more play you have pursuing something that you love, the more better prepared and the easier that transition will be going into those fields. So I have to ask, so let's just, as we're kind of starting to wrap it up, if you could give the, the prospective students uh, three of your best tips for those who really want to get that performing arts degree on the cheap, right, on the cheap, <laughs> what, would, what would those be? It's a loaded question, right? I know. Um, <laughs> so one probably keyword you heard me mention over and over again is networking, building relationships. I think that is huge early on. So whether that's through social media, whether that's through uh, dual enrollment programs, whether that, however you're able to do that, local community, theater companies, other musicians, networking is massive. It can lead to amazing opportunities that you're not even aware of yet. So finding ways to network is huge. And you gotta get out there, you gotta, you gotta share your craft and your love of it, whatever it might be. Um, as I mentioned also, I think the, the crowdfunding is huge. It creates goals for you. It keeps you accountable because you have people paying for your services. It's kind of starting like an early business. You got business um, management skills that you're learning in the process and you're generating income at the same time. I think that's a huge one that can be done. Not only does it not cost money, it will get you money. So it's even better. Um, and what was the question again? <laughs> well, we're looking for I'm trying to narrow it down. Yes, we, we need to get them through college on the cheap. Right. And we need to really strip away some of the, the um, I guess, the myths around that you just have to go in and you just have to sell your soul and mortgage your home and, and never have a 401k and carry this debt with you moving forward forever. And so, you know, any advice that you would have for for bringing those costs down. Yes. So I think yeah. it, and I'm just going to reiterate again, what we said earlier is if you can take, maybe it's not a dual enrollment, but even a summer program, even if it's just a two weeks, something at a college, getting that firsthand experience um, and 
to cultivate or to an opportunity to learn early on if you want to pivot where you're going to spend your money and what career path you're going to have. I think those life experiences are huge because what we see on social media, what we see on TV is just, of course, the dream version and everything's, you know, filled with glitter and, and rainbows. Um, they need to get their their hands dirty, right? They need to actually go out on stage. They have to try a program and learn music theory or appreciation, something that, you know, the other side of things that they may not have a personal interest in, but it builds on their foundation towards their goal. And I think waiting until they're 17, 18 to do that, it, you know, it's never too late, obviously, to go to college and pursue this, but the earlier you can have that hands-on experience um, is going to be better insight as to what path they should take if college is the right path for them relative to their career. I think that's great. I think, you know, for the students who have that passion, um, look, you know, asking your, your guidance counselor at high school is one way to kind of find out if these programs exist, for, particularly for earning college credit. And if they don't, don't let that stop you. I mean, besides mm -hmm. taking, taking charge of your career, you know, as uh, as a young person, which I find, you know, really important in steering the process and making good decisions, have your parents also help you in terms of uh, how to do this kind of research, because there's more to it than just picking the college with the most beautiful campus. And as a parent, I will tell you, you know, parents look up the college credit transfer policies of these institutions. If the, if the schools that you're targeting don't allow your student to bring in any transfer credit, they're not going to get the same um, the same advantages as if you choose like a local college, a state university, something like that, where they absolutely do allow you to bring in lots and lots of college credit. So you can outsource that credit, even if you're um, looking at testing out, like we've talked about CLEP exams, if you're talking about advanced placement, which we talked about in this episode, dual enrollment, which is college credit you've earned in high school, or even if you've been out of of college, I'm sorry, out of high school a little bit before you go back to college, looking at your community college, tapping into those resources, and also trying to complete as many credits as you can, because those are going to be usually a much lower cost than what you're going to pay once you get enrolled. Right. So I, I have to ask one final question, if I can. Can you tell us what you're in the Guinness Book of World Records for? <laughs> I thought the question was going to be to Shelly and if, and if she could share her voice and sing something oh, for us. No, no <laughs> yeah. I don't think that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure it's going to go to her. Um, no, my, so my Guinness World Record, uh, I, I've got a couple, is the main one that I've, I've done a couple times now is um, the longest continuous vocal note. So it's on a single breath, holding a single steady pitch within a semitone at a constant volume. Oh, my goodness. And so, obviously, I have to ask, how long is it's, that? It is two minutes and one second. Oh, gosh. Single pitch. It is the most boring song you will ever hear. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> just a single note, just like held. Over two minutes. Wow. That's impressive. That is impressive. It was it was fun to do for sure. And now I'm um, lined up to break the Guinness record for the longest scream. So that's going to be a little more fun. It's going to really? be louder, a little oh more, a little more fun to do. I'm going to do that later this year. You have to prepare How? your throat for that, probably, right? What was that? You have to prepare your throat for that. It's it's a little more abusive, but like I said, also a little more fun. <laughs> 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 it goes hand in hand. 
Oh my gosh. That that's amazing. And yeah, now so that was that was just tech, you know, my training is like technique with breathing and vocal strength. Um for that. So I practice, you know, semi semi daily um towards working towards that goal to spend oxygen and air pressure and the right muscles in a minimal way to go for a long a long time so i use different various vocal techniques to to develop that so it's just fun goals for me and you know what that, that just kind of ties into what we're saying earlier i think to 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 have a success in any career a sustainable success requires curiosity it requires challenging oneself and so i'm constantly doing that i want to learn something new i want to meet new people like yourselves like this is so much fun and give myself goals and so like i'm gonna break the guinness record in this i don't know if i can yet but i'm gonna go for it so you spend time doing that and i think things like that creating goals for yourself in a career or or at least a genre that you love for the rest of your life is what keeps you happy and uh, just, you know, that perpetuates joy. And um, that's what we're looking for our kids. We want them to find a path that is they can continue to do and work with for the rest of their life and then hand down to their kids. And also, you know, be, did you start your career? I know you wanted to be a rock star, but I, I wanted you to share just a little bit about your patent. Did you say that you while rolling your eyes? No, I did that? not. They, they can't see, but I <laughs> promise you. wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> roll. No, 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 no. I, I love that. I'm a 80s hairband fan. Love it, love it. <laughs> but can, can you talk about your patent too? Because I feel like that is an example of how um, your career that, that you know, it, it's, it's, from a long line of life experiences and twists and turns and different things that maybe take us in unexpected ways. And so I think it's really important for, especially this talk about college, because we do sometimes think that what we're going in for is what we're going to end up doing for the rest of our life. And, and that's not always the case. So that's one of the pieces of wisdom I think to bring to this is to realize, you know, life is, is long and our careers can be long and take a lot of turns. So I'd love if you could just talk for a minute about your patent. Right. So the patent that we have, it's actually the only vocal technique in U.S. history to actually be awarded a patent. It's a full utility patent. And the reason for that is because singing has been handed down as kind of an abstract art form. It's not like the piano or the guitar that we created as humans and, and we can hold in, with, in our hands and we can look at with our eyes and feel with our fingertips. The voice um, is actually created with muscles and soft tissue with a lack of tactile feedback, meaning you can't even feel all the muscles going, um, going back to the brain, just like you can't feel the muscles of your heart. Like if someone has open heart surgery, they could, the doctor could be holding your heart in your hand, you could be awake and not feel it. And we've got, got a little morbid visual there, but I just wanted to make a point. It's the same thing inside of your larynx, your voice box. We can't feel all the muscles there. So not only can, can we not see or touch this instrument, but we can't even feel it. So a lot of the teachings for the last 500 years has been handed down through very abstract concepts. It's only been since the mid 70s when we had strobography and uh, cameras being able to go down the throat and actually see what was happening inside the larynx in action that we were able to say, oh, that's how sound is created. That muscle does this, this muscle does this with a much 
a greater degree of certainty. So I took that information over the last 50 years and started breaking down uh, what I call the seven dimensions of singing and identifying which muscles does what in order to generate and control your breathing, your pitch, your tone, your, uh, your strength, your flexibility, and your articulation. And by separating them into mechanical coordination agendas, if you will, I was able to identify what specific exercises can target and develop different aspects of your voice. And so that's what the patent was built on, this very scientific approach. So that's the style that, that I teach with Throga Technique is certain exercises targeting specific needs of the individual, as opposed to everybody do the scale and you're magically going to sing better. That doesn't work. We know that. But if you have the right exercise for the right person with the correct form, they can really advance. And that's why I believe and I know that if you can speak, you can sing. Anybody can coordinate. <laughs> Shelly, I can see Shelly. You can't. Her response is beautiful. She literally like threw back in her chair like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> And it's the and same. Join us next week for singing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> on the cheek. No. But look, it's the same idea. It's, it's the same idea. If you can walk, you can dance, right? You don't even need legs to dance for that matter. Um, but it's it's a physical instrument that can be nurtured and coordinated to express yourself. And it's such a powerful means of communication. Even if you don't intend to sing, it's worth exploring. So that that's my pitch for singing and why everybody should do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Richard, you've really given our audience amazing advice today. I have had so much fun talking about this. This is outside of, my, you know, my normal thought process and my normal comfort zone. And you're such a busy person. Thank you for taking time to, to come on and, and talk with us. And you guys can find out more about the vocal gym by Throga. You can get a hold of Richard. You can see some of the resources that we have from today's episode. These are all going to be for you guys down in the show notes. So until next time, I'm Jennifer Cook-DeRosa. And I'm Shelley Cloutier. And you've been listening to College on the Cheap. 